Take 392. <laughs> Maybe we'll get it right this time. I hope so. Uh, welcome back. This is Autism on Shift. My name is Thor. Oh, damn it. <laughs> All right. Take 395. Ready? All right. I'm Adam. I'm Thora. What happened to 393? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us at Autism on Shift. All right, today we are talking to Christoph Folger. Did I say that right, Christoph? Yep, that's right. Awesome. Welcome to our show. Welcome. Thank We're you glad for to being have here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Christoph is a product, product designer. Product designer. Okay. A UX product designer. Ooh, UX. That means user experience? I Yeah, I usually put that in front of it because people sometimes confuse it with the idea of an industrial designer, industrial product designer. Okay. Oh, okay. So... Okay. But uh, the UX the UX field kind of co opted that title a few a little while ago, so awesome. So what is it that you do? Tell us what a day looks like. And so, you know, um, when somebody asks me, you know, what do you do? I, and it's just in passing, I just say, oh, I'm, I build websites <laughs> because <laughs> it's the simplest answer. But um, a user experience designer is somebody who who takes in account the use of of something okay. and. Um, talks to the users, finds out how to make it better. What what do they need? What do they desire? What is the best way to deliver it for them? They work through processes, solutions, testing of those solutions, and then work to deliver the solution. So all around kind of guy. All right. It can be. A product designer is kind of the title of the all around because under product product design, you, well, not under, but in that same field or area, you've got user experience. You've got uh, user experience researchers. You've got um, people who focus on just the research side of it. Um, and then you've got um, UX uh, design systems where they're working on the actual, you know, buttons and, and elements and components, the reusable components that are reused throughout an entire application. So they spend a lot of time focusing on how how these interactions, you know, form fields, buttons, um, you know, uh, visual cards, or what, what all the visual elements uh, that they'll spend a lot of time building and getting those fine tuned. Um, and then there's people who, who deal in interactions. Interaction designer is also another type of, of a UX designer. And those are people who, who design the, the individual interactions. So say if you click a button and the button bounces or maybe it loads or maybe those are the simplest little tiny motion graphics that you'd yeah. use as an interaction. But other interactions are, you know, on a, mo on a mobile phone, uh, you know, a website uh, you hit next or you hit a link on a page and the whole page loads. Yeah. But in a, in a mobile UI, you hit a button and the whole thing slides sideways, giving you the appearance that you're moving sideways. So that, that was designed by an interaction designer. Okay. Somebody who, who thinks how, how should this, how should this digital thing interact? Right. Yeah. That's my kind of, my cool. style of visual stuff. I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, those are all the types of things that go into it. Product designers um, usually do a little bit of all of that. Um, and I currently work as a product design team of one, so it's just me. Okay. I'm the only only product designer on our team. I work directly with the, pro with the product managers and the developers, and I wear a lot of hats. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. Now, does the manager uh, come in with uh, your ex? Uh, the expectations for you from other people's needs then as well? Or do you, do you still work with those other people for what their needs are uh, within your company? You, you mean the product manager? That's correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I didn't know if you meant my manager or <laughs> the product manager. So the product manager, they, and you, you had somebody on a, a few weeks ago talking about what a product manager does. Um, they, so they manage the, uh, um, the, 
um, what you want to say, the, the logistics of it and the schedule of it. When should we deliver? How should we deliver? They'll work with marketing. They'll work with other teams. They'll meet with, they'll meet with customers, clients and, and find out what, what type of things should we be building to, to, uh, to create market value. Okay. And I work with them to do some research into those things. Maybe they'll come in and they'll say, Hey, we think we might want some of this. Well, let's do some research. Let's look into it and see, do some, do some competitive research. Let's take a look at one of our top competitors that's doing it. And maybe we can uh, leverage some things that they're not doing that we could do better or, yeah. you know, what, what can we, what can we do to, to, to make a, an impact in this, um, both business impact and help the user? Is there some way that, that you can do this problem that would help the user do it better? Gotcha. Because if you help users do it better, you know, hopefully they'll stick around longer. Right. Very cool. <laughs> and of course, that's the thing, right? You want to keep, like, that's measurable uh, when someone's on a website or in, a, in an app. You it, can it see is. how long they've been there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are certain analytics that you can put on things. You know, the, the one that people use the most, Google Analytics. We can see bounce rate. How long do people come to a website? How long are they there? You can put in little triggers and work with your work with the developers to put in triggers around certain buttons, certain clicks. How long are they there? What are they doing? Um, you've got heat maps. Um, we've also got something that a lot of people might not like, but it's user session recording as well. So you can record the sessions. You can record the clicks and actually see where they're clicking and what they're doing next and how long it took them. And the software that we're using to do that kind of thing also measures rage clicks. So when somebody clicks the button several times, <laughs> um, they, they're they're enraged. They're pissed. That's um, so cool. So it, it actually somewhere. it actually flags it actually <laughs> flags those, and we can go back and look and see what were they doing right before that that made them feel so frustrated. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Big Brother's watching us. Prank caller. Prank caller. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sure I'm on Every many companies' lists in their rage click database. I'm sure red flag right. all over the place. <laughs> FBI. Yeah, I, I, no. <laughs> I may have I may have let you and, and the users behind the, uh, the the Oz curtain that I shouldn't have. Don't yeah. ignore that man behind the curtain. He's not doing anything. Now, I, nice. when I was in uh, school, I, my favorite uh, class was always recess. So I am curious uh, now that we are older and we work. Uh, what's the favorite part of your job? I like recess. You guys have a recess? Um, <laughs> I'm going to apply today. He's in the tech field in Seattle. They probably have like a, a fun. Uh, no, we don't have a gamer. slide in our office. No, uh, come on. No, it's a it's a smaller company that I work for. Um, it's only a couple hundred people, and we've got two offices. We've got one here and here, here in another place. Um, so it's kind of spread out a little bit. But and right now we're not even in an office anymore. So I don't even have a slide in my backyard. This is right. awful. Oh, man. Um, but what's my favorite part? I'm, I'm I'm like a creator at heart. I love to create something. I love to feel satisfied with what I what I did. Um, so I'm one of those lucky people who my special interest is my job. Yeah. So the achievement of completing yeah. things and creating that's fantastic. I love that. Cool. Yeah. That's but great. I, I've I have a I've had a special interest in design ever since I was in uh, uh, in fourth grade. That's great. So I've well, been drawing I, I, ever since I was a kid. Somebody asked me. I got, I was asked in sixth grade, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" I said, oh, "I want to be a commercial artist." Wow. What is that? I don't know, but it's got artist in the name. Yeah. <laughs> and commercial and then, usually means money. So yeah, and, and, and I, you know our listeners can't see, but uh, you have the Legos. So you're uh, yep. we're at. Oh, I we're guess yeah, that's not that's not part of my job though. Well, <laughs> but, no, clearly, but that I is, that, you enjoy the yeah. creating, obviously. So yep. it's part of you. I love I love the problem solving. I love the, the the working with things and trying to figure out solutions. Yeah, and this is basically like a free form puzzle. And nice. I I love it. I don't I don't like putting together a puzzle that has a pre described shape. Okay. Um, but I do love like building something that doesn't have a pre-described shape. Awesome. Nice. I'm sure you get a lot of that at your work. That's perfect. Yep. Yeah. A lot of work. I, uh, 
I like I like building it. I like figuring out what it needs to be. Is it the right solution? I love seeing it, seeing people use it. Um, and of course, it's satisfying when somebody comes back and says that just looks right. Good job. Yeah. Nice. Well, yep. you know, <laughs> go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm not very ego driven. Um, I've I've had to have a lot of people. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, Try to tell me that I'm better than I am. So, so like, I, take the compliment, pal. <laughs> I, I, I suffer from imposter syndrome. If okay. You've heard of it. Yes. Um, in the in the creative field, and this is in the creative field is the first place I had heard of it. And imposter syndrome is the idea that um, that you you don't feel qualified for the work that you're doing, and you you're you're worried that that someone, either your boss or your colleagues or your peers, are going to find out that you're an imposter. Yes. And that you've been faking it all along. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you feel like that? I've been doing this for twenty years. I've been I've been doing this for twenty years, and I still feel like an imposter. Do Do you think that having that um, has you do a better job, um, thinking you're never good enough, kind of feeling, or you know, does that make sense? Um, Yes, Um, it it does. I I I think it's part of the uh, the autism has a drive to me to want to do a better job, to want to want to prove to myself and prove to everything else. I mean, I, I'm late diagnosed, so I'm only been diagnosed for a couple of years. But even before then, I always wanted things to be just right, wanted things to be as perfect as I could make them. I wanted to be proud of what I delivered, and I wanted the person who I'm working for to be proud of what I delivered. Um, even when I was a, a, a Pizza Hut general manager back when I was 22, I wanted the people I worked with and worked for and the people who worked for me to be proud of working with or for me. Yeah. Sure. And I think that is part of the imposter syndrome. Now, imposter syndrome is not a characteristic of autism, but I think that we actually might suffer from it more um, more often than someone who is not autistic. I would agree with that. Yeah. It's, I, it's, that, it's that idea that you're always trying to fake it and, and be something you're not, trying to fit in, trying to – Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you hit it on yeah. the nose. Well, and a lot of our childhood is based around that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we are, we are, it is very clear to us very early on, uh, late diagnosed or not, we are different and we know it. Yeah. Yeah. And if we don't know it, someone's out there to tell us. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, um, I get that, that, um, the prevalence of that in the community, yeah. probably for that reason. One of the biggest ones I heard was, uh, do you think you're funny? You know, I was like, um, no. I'm like, if I could just go back to the moment, I said, yeah, I'm funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's part of why the reason why I, I reached out to you to, to be interviewed for this show. I want to tell people that they're good. There nice. are things that you're, there are things that you're good at. You're autistic. That doesn't mean a dang thing. Right. I'm autistic and I've actually have a, I, I'm gainfully employed and I'm rather successful in my career. I've been doing it for 20 years. Love what I do. I'm not saying everybody can do what they do, what they want to do, but there's nothing to say you can't. Right. That's right. Exactly. So at least, at least go into it with that thought. Right. Because yep. I mean, for the last 20 years, I've been telling myself I can't. For the last yeah. 20 years, I've been telling myself I can't. So, and I still made it, made it somewhat successful. I'm not rich. I'm not, I'm not this successful satellite or Seattleite up here, by the way. Um, I didn't go to school until I was 27 and I didn't. I, I just went right right into a, a, a production design job after that, and I spent 15 years at the same company. But I learned a lot and got good at it. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's great. Can you tell us um, uh, more about how getting your diagnosis? Sure. So I am a father of uh, two kids, and my son had behavioral issues um, throughout uh, early childhood in through um, in through elementary school. Okay. And we were in Salt Lake City. 
Um, and Salt Lake City, Utah is, uh, it's not as, uh, as progressive in a lot of ways. And, um, the autism, um, diagnosis doesn't come up as much because a lot of people think that it's, it, it's the new fandy, it's the new handy thing. This was back in, uh, 2000, you know, four to 2008. Sounds about um, so, um, it only came up once. And it was because he was sitting in a room and she was actually a junior doctor. I don't remember because we went to a, 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 a teaching a clinic. It was a, U, a UW clinic. Then they had uh, like interns and stuff working there too. And sure. so she was, she was meeting with him and, um, and he played with the toys that were in the office and wouldn't turn around and talk to her. So she said, well, have you considered that he might have autism? And to me, autism made didn't speak. Okay. Autism meant he had that you had all these other issues. I knew what I knew. I, I thought I knew what autism was, and like no, we can't shut him up. He is a talker. He's just <laughs> like me. He talks. Does it? No. Yeah. You. You don't. You're not seeing. You're not seeing the real him right now. So that didn't come up again, and uh, he was diagnosed with a, a behavior disorder, other not otherwise specified. Okay. Which means we don't know what he is, but he has got some issues. So. Yeah. Um, when we came up here to Seattle, he was going into uh, um, 12th grade. It was uh, it was middle school, and um, it was a really hard year for him. Um, and we got him to a psychologist up here because um, he had been seen a psychologist all along, um, um, or a psychologist or whatever. What I'm awful with whatever titles they have, but seeing I, somebody for, me, way, for, yeah. for mental support, yeah. Sure. And so we found him with someone up here, and really early, he says, "I I think you should consider autism as as a diagnosis," and um, but he, the way he described it was, you should consider autism spectrum. And I, st I started learning more about what that meant. And so we took him to the Seattle children's to get him um, tested, to get, get the a formal, um, uh, uh, children's testing. And so at this point, like I said, I said, he's 12. He got diagnosed when he was 13 as being on the spectrum and, and ADHD. Oh, he, he'd been diagnosed years before with ADHD. Okay. I'm um, like me. He's, he's hyperactive. He talks fast. He, he gets through things that are really quick. Um, so he's, he's diagnosed with ADHD and, and behavior issues. Um, so he's diagnosed with autism. That I, I won't get into the, what, what kind of whirlwind of, of hell that, that had at his school, but it was hard to get him the support he needed in school. Hmm. But as we started going through some training classes, because the, the UW had us had some classes about how to, you know, welcome to autism, come, come learn to be a parent sure. <laughs> all over again. <laughs> and uh, so I went to the classes and of course everybody else in the class um, had kids that were like you know, five and seven and my kid's 13. Um, so he was, you know, he was what's considered late diagnosis. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And as I learned these coping mechanisms, people are talking about, oh, you know, you, if you do this, when that happens or do things. So, so, so coping mechanisms was a thing. I'm like, um, I, I do coping mechanisms. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and as we go through all of these things and more and more and I'm like, oh my gosh, um, I just thought this was part of his personality. He's a lot like me. I'm like, oh. We're just father and son, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. there's more to there's more to this than that. So <laughs> one day, I, I turned to my wife, and I'm I'm a hypochondriac too. Every little thing I think I have. I, you know, Jesse, I think look, look, will you look at this spot. What is that? I think I oh my gosh, I have this. Um, <laughs> and I, I have I have um, you know everything and anything, and every issue, and I'll always calm myself into believing it. And I turned to her and I said, Jesse, I I think I might be autistic. And she looks at me and she goes, sure as fuck you are. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was an amazing moment where I was like, wow, wait a minute. She's seeing something that might be real. 
So my son, like I said, had lots of troubles in school, and I just kind of flew. I just kind of went with it. And as we learned more about him, he was getting settled down in school. He was in a. We we sent him to a. Uh, or not sent him. He got signed up for an alternative school in downtown Seattle called Nova. It was a really awesome school, a really great nice. environment. Lots of people uh, um, on in uh, in with IEPs, um, so they knew how to work with kids. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I won't get into too much detail, but there was sure. another little bump, bump later on. But um, I, I decided it was my turn. Um, nice. I had full coverage uh, mental health, uh, but getting me to go to a doctor is impossible. So <laughs> I know um, nothing about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's another common trait. Um, so I, I started going to a doctor and um, I got diagnosed with sleep, sleep apnea too, which I knew, I knew I'd had for years. I never, I don't want to go, a doctor's going to tell me bad things. Yeah. So anyway, I decided to um, finally um, get into a place and said, hey, I want to get diagnosed. I want to get checked to see if I might have autism. And so I met with a woman who was specialized in, in it and went through uh, several sessions. Um, she said, yeah, um, pretty pretty positive that we're, we're, we'll diagnose you. Um, I haven't gone through any formal testing, um, you know, because I've heard that they don't necessarily have the same kind of testing that they do with children. Um, so the adult testing is a lot different and wait times and all this other stuff. And I actually, I really don't need it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot but, more subjective uh, based yeah. on the person who's giving the testing versus mm -hmm. kids. You know, it's pretty, it's diagnostic. It's, you know, it, right. Do they do this? And, Check. Do they do that? Check, you know? And the diagnosis really comes down to what kind of support do you need? When you right. look at the DSM-5, um, it, it doesn't measure um, whether or not you're autistic. It measures whether or not you need support. Yes. If you look yeah, at the okay. actual wording in the DSM-5, I am not autistic because I don't need support. Okay. And that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Just because I've figured out coping mechanisms, I still have a lot of other things that, that I fail on or I can't do well and I can't do this. So even to consider that somebody that doesn't necessarily need constant support or, or even any support to not be, uh, uh, I don't know. The wording, yeah, it actually kind of upset me, the DSM-5 wording of, of how, to, how to qualify and quantify it. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should go back and read it again. But <laughs> it's not necessarily the, the, the support I, I need. It's the understanding. It's the understanding oh. of who I who I know who I know I am, and that there may be ways that I process things differently. So, um, for instance, if if I, I do process a lot of things really fast, really off the cuff, and it's like sure. those are the things I really know. I'm experienced at. I think, yep, we do that and that and that. If I'm presented with a new problem or issue, and it's not something that immediately get, figures itself out, because a lot of things are very immediate, and and the, and, I, and I I. We'll take people on like a, a, a discussion journey with me as we're figuring out the solution. Yeah. And that is usually organic and happens right there on the spot. So I need people to be willing to go through that method with me. But then if that doesn't pan out or if something isn't quite right, uh, I need to drop it because – and we'll need to come back and look at it again later. Okay. Because I need you, my mind needs to like percolate on it. And, and a lot of people – it's pretty common in the in in the industry to say, you know, well, let's just think about this. Let's 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 sleep put on. Put a pin it. in it. Yeah, sure. Let's put a, let's put a pin in. I don't like that one, but yeah, yeah. That's well, that's, that's because somebody it. doesn't that's because somebody doesn't want to talk about a topic. Well, that's, <laughs> Me, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. When uh, when, uh, when I, I may... when I I just want the the the, uh, the ability to do that and come back and respond in a very thoughtful way. Understood. If I may speak to your mm -hmm. imposter for a moment, um, okay. That is a support need. That is a legitimate support need. Hey, I need you. You're to not be, wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I was, and I was thinking mm -hmm. over here too. It's it's interesting because 
support is uh, in, unless I read something or somebody outright says, um, you, know, you know, because you know we cope and we figure out the, through our lives mm -hmm. how to deal with. So any anyone who's either late diagnosed or didn't realize, you know, it's like we already have all these things that we do uh, mm -hmm. to to deal. And unless someone says, well, that's something, you know, that's a need, you know, that's something you might need support with, you know, and, and then you think about it like, oh, you know, that's a very good point. Like that's something I I. I struggle with, but I don't realize I struggle with it because I have attached something to my life to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. That comes up more frequently than, um, and it, sometimes I feel a little sheepish about it. I was like, you're right. I do, I do need help with that. Um, and it, where I would, I would perform so much better as I put it when I, when I first went to, to my therapist to find out, um, if I had autism or not, what I really wanted to know is, can I find out things about me that will make me a better me? Nice. Are there are yeah. there just things about me that I need to know and I haven't experienced that would make me better at my job, make me better at my life, make me better in my relationship with my wife? You know, are there things that that I've, as you mentioned, like attached onto things that are, you know, of my life and my activities? Am I doing things, not doing things, based entirely off of some childhood childhood thought hmm. or, or 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 action that caused me to do it? So well, that's the only way to grow. I think it's fantastic. You know, that's like the, the self-reflection. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a story for there's a story with that. I'll tell it really fast. In, in fifth grade, we were in the hallway and we're all, and all the kids were walking down the down the hall, straight in a line. My teacher uh, had to have had OCD. She had us all in straight in a line, very quiet. Nobody's supposed to, supposed to say anything. And I sneezed. And I'm a loud sneezer. Sneezer. And, you know, it was fifth grade. So what am I, uh, uh, 10, 11? Yeah. Chew! Whole hallway down. I could hear the thing <laughs> echoing back at me. The, 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 I just, I sneezed loud. And she lost it. Oh, no. And I was so uncouth and disgusting. And you will not act like that. I got held after class. I what? lost recess for the entire week. And I had to write 5,000 times or 5,000 words. I will not belch in public. Like, but this isn't wow. belching. This isn't belching. I, I sneezed. Did you that explain that to her? Every, oh, that's so weird. Yeah, I tried, but and I, I was I was practically in tears. Um, yeah. I don't remember crying, but maybe I did. But I had to write that out, and I I, I was confused. I didn't know what was yeah, going you on. Got to sneeze for goodness' um, sake! Because she was her reaction was way overboard. Yeah. And every time I sneeze now for my for the rest of my life, I think about that moment. Wow! Oh. Very traumatic. So, yeah, and yeah that, that's why I bring it up. It's such a simple little thing. And yeah, I did sneeze loud. And should I have learned how to control it? Absolutely. Um, yep, I, but nobody, ever, nobody ever said it to me at 11. Nobody yeah. ever said, hey, hey dude, you got to chill that out. And that would have been, that would have been fine. That would have been a much better way of putting it. But yeah. the way she put it was, you know, I, I needed to be disgusted about it. I needed to be embarrassed. About uh, she it. completely pathologized a perfectly yeah. natural thing. That is yeah. so weird. Yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, because we talk with our kids all the time, um, them both being autistic as well. It's um, my daughter said something to my son, you know, about his appearance. Uh, I think it was yesterday mm -hmm. at dinner. And so, you know, I took the time to say, you know, because obviously, you know, he, he, he took it in stride. But, you know, you could tell he's like, uh, that's kind of rude. You know, he didn't say anything <laughs> uh, because, you know, he's cool like that. You know, but I told my daughter, I said, you know, hey, you know, um, you know Isaac might take it a certain way. And so you might want to think about how, you know, outside Side of the house yeah. inside the house we're okay we're all okay we're gonna take it in stride we want you to be you and we you know still be you but uh you know be aware that when you say something 
you know, people on the other side will react sometimes, especially if it's about their appearance, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we had that little conversation, but it's like, uh, hopefully that was a lot better than, uh, you're disgusting and awful. My God, no. you know, it's yeah. like, geez, really? It, it was definitely pathological. Pathological. So when you mentioned that you know, maybe there are things that you uh, apply, yeah, autism, or excuse me, uh, imposter syndrome. Um, I was actually, I was in a call, this, or not a call, I was on a, a, a Twitter spaces this morning. If you're familiar, it's like a voice chat that, Twitter's trying to beta. You okay. can sit in and list, listen to people. And there was uh, uh, some really famous designers in my field, uh, Pablo Stanley, and he was talking about how he has imposter syndrome and he okay. suffers from it. He's always, he said, I'm CEO of my company. I've been, I've been, you know, the uh, uh, designer of this and designer of that. He's an amazing designer and I love his work. Um, and he's t- saying that he is a complete imposter. He's waiting for somebody to figure out that he's, that he, that he doesn't belong. Well, you said um, earlier that you were uh, you wanted to get into was it public speaking for for mm-hmm. autism in the workplace as well? I mean, that was yes, yeah. Um, so I years ago I I joined a a, a club called uh, Toastmasters. Okay, I don't know if you're if you're familiar. It's yes. a public yeah. speaking speaking club yeah. um, because I wanted to be um, a public speaker. I wanted to be good at it. I'm I'm in the design field and I need to be better at presentation. I knew that was a, a weakness of mine. So, and I knew that whenever I presented, I, I, I'd get flush, I would, couldn't present. And I think that was part of the autism kicking in is the anxiety around the whole thing. I had no control over it. And people are like, well, present more, Pre- present more often and you'll get over that. So I joined Toastmasters and I was in it for like a year and I'm like, I'm still not getting over this. Um, you know, you have like your seven minute speeches and still not getting over it. Still uh, over and over again, you have to do impromptu 30 second speeches. You have to do impromptu two minute speeches. And then there's seven minute speeches or icebreaker speeches. There's 20 minute speeches. So there's all these speeches you have to do. And they're, they're, they kind of give you a curriculum of what to do. I thought, you know what? This is a structured method for me to get better at something I want to get better at. Let's do it. Of course, anything, anything I do, I kind of went a little overboard and the, the president stepped down and he's like, I think you should run it. So I ended up being the president of the club for a year and a half. Wow. And, um, <laughs> That's awesome. But so I, that meant I had to speak at every meeting. Oh, wow. Well, um, and, then if we couldn't, and then if we couldn't find speakers, because it was a small club, a really small club, okay. and it was a small club uh, at our company. So it was basically just the people in our building. We invited people from other people, in the, in, but it was really just our company that went to this, meet, that went to this group. So I had to speak at almost every single meeting. I always felt like I was going to pass out every single speech. Wow. Um, so doing it more didn't didn't make that go away, but it did make me really good at presenting. Okay. And I was already a speaker; I already loved speaking. And but so when I left Salt Lake City, I didn't pick that up when I came back up here, when I came up here to Seattle. Okay. But it was kind of on my radar of things to do. And over COVID, there's been a lot of conferences happening, and they're all electronic conferences. Um, and I have a feeling that those types of electronic conferences are going to continue. Uh, some of them smaller in nature. Maybe they're just a day. Maybe they're just a few days. There's lots of opportunities to speak. And since I have been on the spectrum, I it's been my um, hyper-focus, my special interest to learn everything I can think about. Um, everything I can find out about what's it like to be on the spectrum in as an adult, as a as a um, as a designer, and there's information out there for programmers. There's not a lot of information for designers, but yet I hear a lot of designers suffer from uh, imposter syndrome, and they there there's a huge there's a large group of designers suffering from uh, from being introverts. They're you know, labeled introverts, and but this can get in the way of of 
of some of the things that we need to do as designers. We need to talk to people. We need to to inter interface with users. We yeah, need sure. to we need to feel comfortable in these types of actions and these types of things. I'm currently being mentored by someone who told me the best way to get over these types of things is to know it, know you have imposter syndrome, know that it's wrong, know that you're that you're worthy of the work that you're doing. Someone is paying you to do the work you're doing. Somebody thought you could do it. Most likely you can. So I don't care if you have, if you're an imposter or not, go do it. Nice. Nice. And that was some that was some amazing advice. And um what was the question? <laughs> uh, you're speaking so, and where you're headed oh, with it, that. And yeah, and so all of this came came about and so within the last month I've been thinking a lot more about speaking about being neurodiverse to the design audience. Um I a couple of years ago my boss that I that I absolutely loved she she's the one who I told was was autistic she was with me during the diagnosis she's helped me a lot um she has been uh, amazing support just a support as a boss but not also a support as me being autistic she's amazing um she left a couple uh, about three weeks ago um very sad to see her go but yeah. two years ago she brought in somebody to speak to the team about being neuro about neurodiversity in tech okay oh. And it was a great, it was a two hour session where she came in and, and it was, she didn't come in, actually, she was on uh, WebEx. Okay. Um, and this was pre COVID. So we were all in the conference room. And, um, but I, she knew then that I was on the spectrum and yeah. she brought it in to, to talk about the people who might not know they're on the spectrum. And it yeah. really was a really moving thing for me to see somebody like that. Awesome. I reached out to her on Twitter and said, you know, thank you for being there. I, 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 I'm always looking for people in the field, but it still didn't feel right because she was in tech. She's a programmer. Okay. And people on the spectrum who are programmers, I don't hundred percent mesh up with them either. Okay. I know how to program. I'm actually really good with uh, with HTML, CSS. So I can build, uh, build things in react. I'm, I'm actually pretty good at the, uh, coding languages. Okay. But I'm, I've never, I, I decided to go down the art field instead of the programming field. And, um, so I don't really mesh with those people who are really, really autistic in the technical fields. Gotcha. So okay. when I see them talking about how do how do they work? They still work differently than me. Sure. So I, I haven't seen a lot of, a lot of benefit for people on the spectrum who are in the design field. So long story short, um, I would. I have a five-year goal to start doing uh, speeches to talk to people about being in the design field and being autistic. That's fantastic. And how that how that how that can help people, uh, what troubles they may have, what what troubles they're probably having that they think are roadblocks, but are actually um, um, are actually kind of help something that will probably forward helpful for you. Yeah. 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 That actually uh, that's perfect. It kind of brings us into um, you know in the workplace what you know. Uh, having autism, what are things that are helpful and maybe uh, harder roadblocks for you? So when it comes to my job, uh, being yeah. a product designer, it's all about knowing the user. So there's a, there's a high level of empathy required. And there's also an idea that people on the spectrum don't have empathy. Yeah. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I have so much empathy. It sometimes might need to sneak up on me because <laughs> Um, I might not notice if, if somebody is is beside me when, and and doing certain facial features. I might notice, but the moment I know, I'm like I can feel it with them. Yeah, oh, wholeheartedly. Yeah. 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 What I don't have is sympathy. Um, I can feel your hurt 
about something happening or if a friend's parent dies, I can feel the hurt. I, I, I'll be there for them. I'll go to the funeral. But when it comes to actually telling them, I'm sorry for your loss, that sounds so easy. I can't do that. Um, well, I think, uh, and I and I think that trope, that 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 stupid stereotype that we are that we don't have empathy, comes mm-hmm. from the fact that that many of us, myself included, uh, have a hard time figuring out the best way to express the empathy we mm-hmm. do feel. That's a good point. And that's that's what I was thinking, and um, through some of my therapy, that's what we've came to the conclusion as well. It's hard for me to identify and express exactly what emotion I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, is, is that is that fear? Is it shame? Is it guilt? And what is this? What is this emotion I'm feeling? Yeah. I can't really describe to you. And uh, also, some emotions I'm, are delayed. Yeah. Like when when my mom passed, um, I was in work mode. Okay, well, we got to do certain things. We got to clean out our house. We got to go there. We got we got tasks to do. Sure. And it wasn't until a few days later where the emotion hit me. Yeah, that's um, similar. I, when my daughter was born, she was in the hospital for the first month and it was all, mm-hmm. and Thora was at a different hospital. There were two different hospitals and I was just in go mode and I was getting oh, things yeah. taken care of and it felt uh, good, but it's, uh, and, and I had compartmentalized so much of it, uh, you know, until it, now when I see those pictures, now I get emotional. Oh, at the yeah. time, I was, it, it didn't affect me at all. Emotionally. Uh, emotionally, you were just taking just, care of all the yeah, stuff that needed to be taken care of. It was no mm-hmm. big deal. It was, but it was also, I wasn't, I didn't want to get attached yet because I wasn't sure if it was, if she was going to make it kind of thing. So yeah. it was just like, I'm just here. I love you, you know, but I, not that it was a, yeah. such a weird feeling. Well, it didn't and, help that they didn't let us actually hold her for two weeks either. Yeah. Oh. Well, it was until then I got, I think I was sick for a few days and I couldn't go in the hospital. And then uh, I do remember. The, that feeling of just wanting, you know, I, I had like a pair of Huggies or something like that, or, you know, like a, a, a you know, a box of Huggies and it had that smell. Yeah. And I was like, it reminded me of, you know, the smell. And I just like, I put a picture of her on it and I just held that. And so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those delayed uh, emotions. Um, for a long time, I thought I was broken. Yeah. yeah. I thought that I didn't feel emotions like everybody else. And, and uh, you know, maybe I didn't, maybe I don't. But I definitely feel so yeah. when empathy, when it comes to empathy at work, um, that's really important for a product designer to be able to empathize somebody and get in their seat and to think of how they they need to use something. Yeah, and absolutely. I actually feel that my my deep empathy helps me. Yeah, um, I can I can feel and think about things that I have to actually I have to explain to someone because for me, it's just second nature. No, that that shouldn't be like that. It should absolutely not be like that. And then I have to explain to somebody why. And they're like, oh, you're right. Yeah. And it's because I just have this innate feeling of, em- of empathy to, to being a user. Um, you know, I'm a user. I need to swipe a credit card. I need to hit a button. What am I doing at that moment? I'm pulling yeah. a card out of my pocket. I'm putting it in the thing. What do I, what do I need to do instead? You know, what am I, what are the actions? I can actually feel and see the pictures in my head. I can get in that person's actions. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's super helpful. Yeah, and I think it's you're, actually, you're pointing. So. Yeah, yeah. just pointing at me. Yeah, Adam is he's he has that. I mean, it's the exact same thing. He has mm-hmm. this in, amazing ability to be anyone, mm-hmm. and I say that in a strange way, but it is it is very much he can. I mean, he can he can be in the shoes of. <sighs> Uh, anyone, uh, even a, yeah. even a, a 
bad person, abuser, <laughs> and he can still understand yeah. who they are and where they're coming from. And it is it is fascinating and amazing, and I wish I had it, but I'm glad you do. My, my <laughs> son, had, my yeah, son has a lot say. of empathy, too. Yeah. I think it's actually I mean, ever, ever since he was a kid, he was. We, we, I'm a big news watcher, and yeah. he would. We'd see him getting emotional oh, wow. about bad things, weather, um, people, people's houses getting destroyed by tornadoes, things like that. He was really emotional and really in their shoes. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too for your work. It's actually probably for that empathy within the user's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost it's. Like you were saying, well, it's not necessarily sympathetic. So that's actually even mm-hmm. more helpful, you know, yeah. for what you're trying to accomplish. You know, yeah. you 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 put yourself in their shoes without the sim- uh, yeah, the sympathy. You can accomplish right. a lot more. Almost, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I don't need sympathy in my job. I need empathy in my job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So being being empathetic with the user is definitely a core principle of of the user experience. Yeah. Um, so I feel that that actually helps me out a lot. Um, what I also think helps me out a lot is is my uh, level headed emotional. Um, take no nonsense kind of way. Um, I was recently given a, a, a performance review and uh, hell I'll tell you. Um, I, so the, the, the two people who did it, my, my supervisor told me that she thinks it might be my, uh, my autistic superpower of having level headed, calm conversations about any topic. Nice. Like I, I can talk about things that other people won't and, my CTO, because my manager was leaving, uh, my CTO step was in the conversation too, and she said that um, that I had the highest emotional IQ of anybody, or not highest, but she, I was, I had a very high emotional IQ. That I, that every conversation that I've ever had with her was very uh, emotionally intelligent, um, and I think that that is really good when you're talking about solutions and you need to bring people together to see things a certain way. Um, so they both complimented me on that. Um, that was really amazing to hear. Um, I, I bet. need to remind myself that that's actually true because yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, that, that, you, you, you got to be talking about somebody, somebody that was else coming. here. <laughs> yeah. Did you switch because, that paperwork? Because Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there are definitely things that, that hinder me at, at work. Sure. Uh, my focus. Um, my focus can can be, I mean, you know, as you can see, I'm a talker. I'm not. I'm, I'm, it's hard to keep me on topic at times. Yeah. Um, so focus, um, being able to focus in on 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 one thing. Um, I'm really interested in all things design, so I'm, I love to see new uh, uh, new ways of doing things. And so my focus on doing something one way, the same way every time, is really hard. Okay. I like to try something different. I like to try something new. But you know, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's like, well, we just need to get this done fast. Uh, and so I have to remind myself to to not get distracted by the shiny thing. Yeah. Sometimes I'll start down the shiny the shiny thing track and actually have to set it aside and go, nope, start over, do the simple thing. Yeah. Um, because uh, because I do have a lot of muscle memory, the simple thing also doesn't keep me as interested. Okay. It's not it's not as interesting to just keep doing the same thing all the time. It's it's muscle memory. I, this is uh, this is production work at this point. I I want to do something that's 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 new. Um, when software comes out with a new update, it's like, ooh, what are the new features? <laughs> I got to nice. find out. I got. I, I have to master them. I have to master those new features. Those things can actually get in the way of my my, pro- my productivity. Yeah, I can see that. And but those are those are traits that are, are really common in the you know, in, uh, on an autism spectrum. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, uh, I, I wanted to to let people know that there are things about uh, being autistic that don't need to stop you from ex- from excelling, and I hope that uh, your audience gets that. Um, I don't, excelling isn't the right word. I'm not, I don't excel, but 
you can still you can you can still be um be actively what you want to be yes and you know maybe i'm maybe i was just lucky that i really enjoy doing and my my special interest is uh is a is a good career yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, your life is working for you. You know, it's interesting. There's so much insight that comes with once you realize that you're autistic, like for myself, once mm-hmm. I realized that I was autistic um, and I'm going to kind of circle back to that emotion stuff we were talking about, because prior to that, prior to that insight, mm-hmm. uh, emotions for me, if I didn't understand it, um, the emotion would just occur as anger. Whatever it was, if it was not like a, you know, happy, excited or whatever, anything that was not like positive was anger because Mm. I didn't understand it and I didn't like it and I didn't want to feel it. And so I just, uh, it would just make me angry. Mm. And, and with the, you know, with the insight of, of being autistic, I can look at that and I can go, okay, you know what? Anger is a reaction. Anger is not an actual feeling. So, so what's the behind the anger? And now Mm. I can actually like take the time to like separate myself from the feeling so that right. I can actually identify the feeling. And I think being able to like look at it that way has helped me a lot. It has. Um, yeah. That, you're, yeah. You, you're angry at least one less time a week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> that, would have, that would have helped me when I was uh, um, 16 to 18, an uh, angsty yeah. goth, goth kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just knowing that, you know, because I also, I also had a big sense of humor. And if anything funny happened, I'd suddenly be, go from not being depressed, depressed and dark to being the clown. <laughs> so, so the depressed and dark was not the true me. The clown was. <laughs> we talked about your future oh, yeah. as a speaker. Um, what is your future? Um, what does your future look like uh, overall? If you mm-hmm. could, if you could design your own future, what does that look like? I've been really talking, thinking about that a lot lately um, because I'm, I'm a designer of one. Um, I want to want to find a, a, a more people that I can collaborate with. Um, I want to, I, I've been over the last year, even though we're in lockdown, all these electronic ways of, of, of talking to people have come out and, uh, you know, a clubhouse has come out. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's like a beta invite only. And it's, it's basically like a, a room of people that just talk about stuff. Okay. There's a little now design. Now we want to be invited. <laughs> I'll, I'll send Sorry. you, I'll send you an invite. Actually, um, t- uh, Twitter is like I mentioned it earlier. Twitter spaces is coming out with its beta. So it might be on Twitter, the same kind of functionality where okay. it's basically it has like a, a couple speakers and then you have an audience and you can invite people from the audience to come speak. Oh, so it's that. kind of, kind of like a 24 seven conference and they even have a hallway. The, the concept of the hallway is where you look at all of the different rooms and you decide what room you want to go into. It's like, huh. it's chat room. Oh. It's, you know, text chat rooms of the, of the modern day. Yeah. I love that. Um, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like something I could just get into. There, I, I'll let you finish. I just, I there, just well, yeah, there, there are tons of topics. The most common topic is NFTs and Bitcoin. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah. A lot of those, but there's, I, I found this little group of uh, designers that talk and um, lo- I love to have them talk. It's like the water cooler going on in the background. I just put my headphones in and listen to them talk all day about design. And um, it's amazing. I've joined in. I've met some amazing people. I've talked to them off, off the clubhouse too. And I'm suddenly I'm networking with people I never would have thought I would have met or networked with yeah, before. That's exciting. So, How cool. Um, I mean, you that's really so much. Yeah. It's, it's gotten me really energized for the idea of, of networking and getting, uh, getting out and working uh, yeah, with people. So. But also I have 20 years of experience that yeah. I want to share. Um, Absolutely. I've been, I've been in marketing. 
Um, I was in marketing for 15 years. I was in production. I, man- I managed a group of, of 10 people doing uh, product design and web design. Nice. Um, or not product design, uh, uh, print, de- print design and web design. Did okay. that for nine years back in uh, um, 2000, 2008 to 2015. Um, or somewhere in there, 20, 2006 to 2018 or 2015. Um, and that was really great. I loved mentoring and managing people. Um, it, it, it had a rough start at the beginning. The first couple of years were pretty rough until I figured out how to put all the coping mechanisms into place. Yeah. And then once I figured this out, how do I, how do I interact with people and, and how do I coach people? Um, it turned into something else. And I was able to coach and impart that. Um, my wife and, my, and some of my friends have told me I'm a, a, a gifted uh, trainer um, awesome. that, I can, um, that I can really teach people how to do things in a really simple way way. So really technical things and teach them in, in really simple ways. So I'd love to be able to impart that through whether it be speaking or whether it be working with people so I can mentor them, mentoring junior designers. I would, that's where I want to go. Very cool. It was an absolute pleasure being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for letting me reach out to you weirdly and, and ask you to be on the show. No, no, no. We were so excited. It was, you were the first person to like reach out to us and ask to be on the show. So we were thrilled. Oh, absolutely. We're like, yeah. oh, Good. this is actually gaining traction. Yeah. We were yeah. super excited. So and it's we, not weird I, at all. I randomly heard about the show in a Facebook channel. Somebody I mentioned it and I nice. went searching it. What? That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I, got I don't even know who said it. I just, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'll do a search on that. And then I saw, oh, a product manager. Oh, I got to listen to this. Nice. Nice. Well, we really enjoyed having you on this show. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you so much for being here. It really us. was great to speak with you guys. Thank you very much. That was a good time. Thanks, everybody. We're so glad you joined us today. We hope you keep enjoying us, uh, and we will continue to enjoy you. Yeah. Every week, Thursday morning, look forward to Autism on Shift, and we'll see you next week. And if your podcast allows you to, Uh, that you're listening to us on, please rate and review us. We'd love to have the feedback, especially if it's good. Thanks. Thanks.